Now we got it. Did you just talk over the music? I did. <laughs> Welcome to an hour of your life. We're learning how to use our software for the first time. Apparently. Bum, bum, bum. <sighs> My name is Kim. And I am Steve. And, and Steve has forgotten how to be a producer, apparently. I, I had some button-pushing problems there, and we had to uh, take three of the intro right there because I pushed a button and didn't start recording. So, <laughs> whatever. It's right. working now. It's working. We're going to get this out of the way right off the bat um, because we are uh, on month five of 2020 bingo. And, uh, and we're sitting in the middle of racial discord. Uh, and so I, we, need to t- we need to address it, I think. Um, so our official Hour of Your Life stance is that whichever side of um, the race issue you are on, uh, I think it is important to listen to people who um, have experienced racism, who have... Um, who have something to say, I think it is important to remember that um, George Floyd and many other victims of um, racial injustice uh, are not just victims of racial injustice. They are people and they have identities and lives that are very, very, very separate from their death and, uh, and I think that that is the important thing to focus on. Um, and I think that it is important to have all of this discussion peacefully. Uh, and So exercise your First Amendment rights, but we're just asking you from our humble home to please keep it peaceful. And also, I personally would like to say that remember your media biases. Um, remember that... Uh, I mean, I will, I, you know, you know, if you've listened to the show for more than five minutes, you know where I stand on media literacy. So please just watch the news with a grain of salt, listen to news stories with a grain of salt, and try to educate yourself independently. All right. All right. Well, before we get started on today's episode, I have some additional information that is relative to last week's episode about Pappy Spears. So my mom, who's one of our faithful listeners, uh, listened to last week's episode, and she called me with some key information about one of Pappy's jobs that he was well known for in eastern Kentucky. Apparently, he made some of the best moonshine. I knew it! In that part of Kentucky. People would come from all over to get Pappy's shine. You glossed over that when you were talking about the history and culture of Appalachia, and I felt obliged to include it in there, and you still kind of glossed over it. And sure enough, your Pappy was a moonshiner. That might explain Bigfoot jumping on him and his horse. What, trying to get his moonshine? Yeah. Okay. But tonight's episode is about a local Native American... When I say local, we'll say Ohio area. And there's a lot of information about him, but it's very vague. So this guy... Well, go ahead, Kim. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about Blue Jacket. Uh, and you got to say his... I will. I'll get there. We're going to... 
we're going to be talking about Blue Jacket, but uh, we're going to be talking a lot about um, just the Ohio Native American tribes in general, especially um, I think there's a lot of stuff about Northern Ohio tribes. Um, But so Blue Jacket, and there's a lot of myths about him too. Steve, uh, around here, we were always told that Blue Jacket was white and that he was kidnapped as a baby. And Steve said, nope, that's not the case. And we'll get to that. And we'll get to that. So uh, Blue Jacket's given name was Wyapersenwa. How did you know how to say that? Uh, my notes. Because I spelled it out phonetically. That you, that you took because <laughs> I hadn't had time to do research this yeah. week. Why a Prasenwa? Now, I also want to say that uh, I have zero Native American ancestry whatsoever. Um, I know a little bit, uh, just enough about Native Ohioans to get me in trouble and um, and that includes pronunciation of tribal names. So if I butcher names of tribes, which I think I know the tribal names because a lot of our cities in Ohio are named after the indigenous tribes. But if I butcher tribal names or Native Americans, I apologize in advance. All right. So for simplicity, we call Wyapersenwa by his English name, which is, of course, Blue Jacket. He was a prominent military leader of the Shawnee, and he got his nickname because of the blue jacket he wore, um, which was not uh, taken with him when he was a baby, uh, which was always a legend that I heard. During the Northwest Indian Wars of 1785 to 1795, Blue Jacket and Miami Chief Little Turtle led an American Indian alliance against the United States military forces in the Ohio country, which included members of many tribes with villages in Ohio, including the Shawnee, the Miami, the Wyandotte, the Delaware, the Ottawa, the Potawatomis, the Ojibwe's, and small numbers of Cherokee and Seneca Cayuga tribes. You didn't think I could say all that, did you? No, I knew you could. I, I could even say those. Um, the, now, s- because small, when half I say- of those names are like, counties or towns in <laughs> right. Ohio, yeah. and I've grown up with them. Um, now, the we say small numbers of Cherokee and, and uh, Seneca Cayuga tribes because there were, I mean, there were, I mean, it's really small numbers. Like, this is not really Cherokee um Oh, they were further land. down south. If you remember yeah. back to our Jenny Wiley episode. Yeah. However, they would travel up north of the Ohio River for hunting purposes. Um, a lot of the stories are between the Ojibwe's and the Iroquois. Um we covered a little bit of the Indian Wars on Mile 13 a few episodes back. Um, but the first, first sources mentioning Blue Jacket date to his being a prominent war chief, which leads his early life up to speculation, which is why, um, you know, we can kind of make up some legends about him. Blue Jacket was born during a time marked by regular bloody skirmishes between the American Indians and Anglo-American settlers. And so um, during the 1740s, Ohio tribes previously forced to flee the Ohio country during the Beaver Wars. And we're okay. going to talk about the Beaver Wars. So well, I'll, let me just go ahead and explain right here. While Blue Jacket played a prominent role in all of this as a leader, in all the research, and I spent a lot of time researching, I couldn't find specific stories of what he did during these things, like during the Beaver Wars, except that he was you know, was there, he participated. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. This is so it, it's, it covers Blue Jacket, but it also covers the period of time that he was alive and events 
that he was at and he took part in. And it's interesting, too, because we think of Blue Jacket a lot here in southwestern Ohio, but the Beaver Wars, as you're about to find out, um, was up north, uh, up in the Great Lakes region, was where a lot of the infighting was and a lot of the skirmishes took place. So Blue Jacket was apparently a very well-traveled man who was all over Ohio. Well, first, let's define what we were we are calling the Ohio country. Do you remember during the movie The Patriot? Remember when that one Tell British me about Ohio? When the one British captain yeah. like said, "Look, I'll go and do all these dirty things for you, but I want something in return." And the and uh, it was General Cornwallis said, "What would you like?" And he said, "Let's talk about Ohio." Yeah. So I mean, Ohio plays a big part of American history back. Past the Revolutionary War, pre-Revolutionary War days. So let me let me go kind ahead. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. So let me go ahead and kind of define what we were talking about when we say the Ohio Country. The Ohio Country was the name given to the territory roughly west of the Appalachian Mountains. So that is like runs up through Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. north of the Ohio River. Okay. Now, this is prior to the American Revolutions. Its boundaries, although not clearly defined, it consisted of approximately what's modern-day Ohio, eastern Indiana, western Pennsylvania, and northwestern Virginia. So it was a West huge, Virginia. Northwestern, yeah, West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was a significant piece of land. So throughout the 1600s and 1700s, both England and France claimed ownership of the Ohio country. But by the mid-1700s, 1700s, both nations had sent merchants into the area to trade with the local Native American tribes. Now, we should mention that the one of the, there were several reasons why England and France and pretty much everybody wanted Ohio, aside from the fact that we're just stellar people. Um, we, Ohio is really, we, it's called the heartland partially because it's shaped kind of like a heart, but also we have a lot of, um, we have really good soil here. So we have really good crops. We have lots of farmland. We have a little bit of everything in terms of, um, well, there were a lot of natural of resources formations and stuff. The yeah. rivers. We have transportation. There's yeah. a lot of reasons what made Ohio a. We have rivers. We have farmland. We have natural. We don't really have mountains, but we have big hills. Um, lots of timber. Uh, so there were a lot of reasons why everybody kind of wanted to get their hands on us. Yeah. So with both sides wanting to dominate the region, this period of time right now was a very violent period of time. But with the signing of the Treaty of Paris in 1763. That kind of marked the conclusion of the French and Indian Wars. England gained control of Ohio country from the French. So that is the Ohio country. Now let's explain the Beaver Wars. So starting in 1640, the Iroquois Confederacy, which is a confederation of five Iroquoian-speaking American Indian tribes, began a campaign referred to as the Beaver Wars, during which they fought other American Indian groups, including including those in Ohio country, for their lands and territories in order to gain access to the fur-bearing game. So with all these rivers, the deer and the forest and what we had, it was just a rich ground for the Native Americans too. 
And the Iroquois are hardcore. Like the Iroquois tribes are, they, they are kind of have a reputation for, um, they're very, very fierce warriors. So you did not, you didn't want to be on their bad side. Yeah. So the Iroquois originally became involved in the fur trade with the Anglo-American settlers in the early 16th century. Primarily, we're talking with Dutch and British merchants where they traded animal pelts in exchange for firearms, iron tools, blankets, and other objects that they didn't have the capability to make. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, as advanced as they were for their, they hadn't worked with iron. They, They didn't know how to work with iron to do that. But the British and the Dutch did. And the British and the Dutch, they wanted these pelts and the furs that the uh, Iroquois could trade with them. So over the course of more than 200 years of involvement in the fur trade, the Iroquois Confederacy eventually became dependent upon items they received in exchange for furs. So I think it was just a natural development. You know, know, over 200 years, that's a lot of generations. You just, that's how life is. And so that, that just became their life. And, you know, I... It would be hard to say that. It's almost like our dependence today on other nations uh, in some things. Like, for example. It just and became this natural. Isn't, this isn't, I, I don't know if this is the the best um, comparison, but like our, our, our fruits. We are very dependent upon South America for the fruit trade because we, you know, they have the kind of climate that produces avocados, bananas, um, coffee, different things that, that we can't grow here because our climate well, we can, is not temperate we can enough. Grow, but but not as well as they. But we can. want our strawberries in January, right, and so we're not exactly. making strawberries up here in Ohio in January. So think of it kind of that same way. Yeah. So the metal tools and guns were more efficient than the stone tools and arrows they produce, and so as time passed, the Iroquois became or begin to re- pre- prefer these items and depend on them for their survival. Again, we're talking a large period of time. So, you know, a generation into this, it just, that's how it was. Yeah, you just yeah, don't know it, any better. It just, you, you don't know any better, exactly. In turn, the Anglo-American settlers began to control the fur trade because they supplied the goods the American Indians so highly valued and relied upon. However, the competitive nature of the fur trade led to much hostility and bloodshed between the American Indian tribes. And like I said, a a lot of that, um, I believe it was um, the Ojibwe and the Iroquois that were the two major, I know the Iroquois, I could be wrong about the Ojibwe, but um, if if you think current day politics are complicated, try to follow this. This is something else. By the mid-17th century... The Iroquois depleted beaver populations in their homeland on the St. Lawrence can I, River region. Can I interrupt here real quick sure. with that? So right now, if you have pictured in your mind that they're just these Native American tribes and they lived in their village and they minded their own business, it was a... Oh, not at all. It, it was like, think of it, you know, different tribes and different, like just different states in mm-hmm. the trade. So it was a very... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not um, a commercial. Like, it was a very was commercial commerce. business. Yeah, um, amongst and, in, amongst these tribes. And also, depending on the tribe, um, I don't know if it's so much here, but like out west, I know like the Navajo, especially, would um, they had like a winter land and a summer land. Yeah. 
So um, they they were very mobile. The tribes so, yeah. were very mobile. So the the for lack of a better term, the governmental structure and the social structure mm-hmm. was much more developed than if you just read some history books yeah, than so you were led to believe. Yeah, okay. so get it out of your head if you think these are like not civilized people because they absolutely are. Okay, so I'll stop. <laughs> Um, so had to get that out. So they the Iroquois depleted the beaver populations on the St. Lawrence River region, and I think the Iroquois actually extended up into Canada a little bit. Um, and they started to look to the abundant resources of the Algonquin speaking tribes, like the Delaware, uh, who were supported by the French in the Ohio country. And the the Delaware were the ones that were really um, not the Ojibwe. The Delaware were the ones who really got into it. Dependence on the fur trade pitted American Indian groups against each other and their struggle to maintain and acquire new hunting and trapping grounds and compete for relationships with colonies um, because the Dutch had things that the British didn't have and the British had things that the Dutch didn't have. And so everybody was kind of at everybody else. So as a result, the relationships between the native tribes and the colonies strengthened while intertribal and intercolonial relationships suffered. And so between 1650 and 1700, the Iroquois Confederacy drove out the Huron, Peton, am I saying that right? Yeah. <laughs> the Erie and the Susquehannock tribes who were allied with the French fur traders and who had well-established communities and territories in the Ohio country. Oh, it gets even more complicated. So then the Iroquois Confederacy pushed those tribes west and destroyed alliances of the Erie, Huron, and Shawnee. And so by 1656, the Iroquois Confederacy had gained control of the Ohio country. And they they didn't fight without great losses of their own because, I mean, they, you know, the Iroquois were great warriors, but they were, uh, they were one tribe against several. So um, in retaliation... The French invaded Iroquois villages and surrounding lands, destroying their crops and homes, resulting in many Iroquois... So now we have outside influence coming yeah. in. Yeah. Resulting in many Iroquois starving to death the following winter. So you've got the British and the Dutch going at it. You've got the Iroquois and pretty much everybody, every other Native American tribe going at it. And then here come the French, and they stick their nose in and destroy all the Iroquois stuff. Well, the Beaver Wars ended with the Treaty of Grand Pay, or Great Peace... In 1701. I am impressed. I I probably didn't say peace right, but I said it very, like, Americanized. (laughs) But the Grand Pay, or Great Peace, in 1701 between the Iroquois Confederacy, the British, and the French. The Iroquois agreed to stop their campaign against the tribes in the Ohio country and allow those who had been pushed out to return to their lands... And although the treaty was a written attempt to put an end to the campaign, there was still a lot of conflict between the British, the French, the Dutch, the American Indian tribes over land and over control and over everything for many decades after, especially with the French and Indian wars on the horizon as European powers fought for control over North America and American Indian tribes fought to maintain control of their lands and territories. So there are your beaver wars. So if you think our trade deals that we have right now in the United States with China, with NAFTA, and all the other places that we do business. It's been like this for generations. This ain't nothing new. Yeah. History just just keeps on repeating itself. So 
Like we said, there are your beaver wars. So with all the tribes involved, the most notable of these tribes in this part of Ohio country was the Shawnee. And by this time, Blue Jacket was a young boy. The Shawnee's resettlement in the Ohio country was fully underway. The British and French desired the Shawnee's homeland, and it became disputed, unsettled territory. During the early 1760s, Ohio tribes, including the Shawnee, ran out of ammunition and other supplies to, um, that they were using to defend their villages and their lands, and they began to conduct a series of raids to replenish their supplies. So it's during this time that Blue Jacket probably gained recognition as a talented warrior. So he's just, you know, a young, strong, yeah, probably teenager mm-hmm. at this point and um, getting a lot of experience yep. and making his reputation known. Blue Jacket and the Shawnee allied with the British during the American Revolution, which was 1765 to 1783. That was a long period of struggle right there for our nation. It was. Yeah. Yep. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in the coming weeks. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, what <laughs> our, that's what our plan is leading up to uh, the 4th yeah, of July. Yeah. That's and it. Hopefully there'll be a couple uh, couple episodes. I'm very on excited. So anyway, Blue Jacket and the Shawnee, um, like we said, allied with the British during the American Revolution and he led the Shawnee during Lord Dunmore's War of 1774. So now what's Lord Dunmore's War? This is a war, well, a confrontation between Virginia now and the American Indians of the Ohio country in 1774. So um, you got all these skirmishes from before. Now in 1768, the Iroquois and the British signed another treaty called the Treaty of Fort Stanwix. And in this agreement... The Iroquois gave all of their lands east and south of the Ohio River to the British. So while the Iroquois agreed to give up this land, most American Indians did not, including the Delaware, the Seneca, and the Shawnee. So settlers immediately moved into the region. And by the spring of 1774, guess what happened? More violent encounters. So, you know what, I'm, I'm sitting here wondering, so if the Iroquois decided to sign over their land, mm-hmm. you know, was it, the? and I probably should have researched this, but I'm pretty sure there was a council, yeah, it was like the elders. The council so, of the Iroquois, it was like five different Iroquois tribes. Yeah, but even within the tribes, yeah. this council, how do they, I mean, just picture our American Congress trying to decide something like, we're, we're going to give over all this land and we're going to do uh. this and agree to that. I could imagine... Just yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Sitting around trying to discuss this, if there were heated debates, I would like to really research that and, and learn more about that. Like, was Sounds it heated like or nightmare. was it like, hey, this is probably the wise thing to do or whatever? I, I think that would be really interesting. And you know what? I think I'm going to spend some time <laughs> looking that up. Well, so there's violent encounters taking place in this disputed area as the American Indians, especially the Shawnee, tried to drive the British colonists back to the eastern side of the Appalachian Mountains because even though the Iroquois said you could be here, we didn't say that. So on May 3rd, 1774, a group of British colonists seeking vengeance killed 11 Seneca Cayuga, and at least two of them were relatives of Chief Logan, who was the leader of the Seneca at Yellow Creek. 
So now we got a blood feud. And, and as a result of this war, some Shawnee natives agreed to the terms of the Treaty of Fort Stanwix and promised to give up some of their lands east and south of the river. So this was the first time that some of the American Indians who actually lived in the Ohio country agreed to relinquish some of their land. Because remember, the Iroquois at this point were not even living here. They relinquished land south of the Ohio River, um, which is really Kentucky. Uh, so... In addition, these Shawnee, Kentucky. Well, yeah. In addition, these Shawnee also promised to return their white captives and to no longer attack British colonists traveling down the Ohio River. However, not all Shawnee and their affiliates, including other related American Indian nations in the Ohio Territory, were signatories to the treaty. So, as a result, American Indians there lost their rights to hunt on land south of the Ohio River, and the Shawnee continued to lead the resistance as Blue Jacket rose to prominence. So, again, really complicated, really bloody, really, like, politics. I'm amazed that there's this much documentation (laughs) to keep it this straight. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, me too. So politics, as usual, just, I mean, you it's really not much has changed. You got this country fighting with this country, fighting with this country over this territory and that and territory trade and, and that, that trade, trade and, and blood feuds and you killed my cousin and now I'm going to get you. Oh. So <laughs> during the 1790s, Blue Jacket and Little Turtle, remember the Shawnee, Together, led warriors of the American Indian Alliance in victory over the United States forces under the command of Josiah Harmar in, 19, or in 1790, and again in 1791 against Arthur St. Clair. I wonder if he could have been a relative, just a different of spelling. either one of us, because my maiden name is Harmeyer, and you're a Harmin, and he's a Harmar, so it's kind of like a mishmash of both of our names. Anyway... Um, uh, oh, <laughs> no. We, uh, so both of us have done some of the ancestry things and we In don't, the state of Ohio, you're allowed to be good. married if you're no closer <laughs> relative than second cousin. We are, we're not even fourth cousins, I don't think. So we're good. Um, so as ordered by President George Washington, Arthur St. Clair's forces fought to force American Indian groups in the Ohio country off their land and... Uh, Blue Jacket and Little Turtle led the alliance in an offensive attack on St. Clair's troop at daybreak and swarmed the camp on the banks of the Wabash. Although Blue Jacket and Little Turtle led the alliance against the United States forces, the American Indians suffered a decisive defeat at the Battle of Fallen Timbers against General Anthony Wayne in 1794. So hopefully you're keeping all your battles and your dates and your guys straight because there's a lot of them. But we're going to talk about the Battle of Fallen Timbers because it's really pretty interesting. We could actually do an entire episode on the Battle of Fallen Timbers, but we're just going to briefly go over it right now just for the historical significance in this part, in this story. So on August 20th, 1794, an American Indian Alliance and the United States Army led by General Anthony Wayne came together at the Battle of Fallen Timbers in what is now present-day Toledo, Ohio. The Battle of Fallen Timbers was the culmination of the Northwest Indian Wars as American Indian tribes attempted to thwart, I like that word, thwart Anglo-American settlers from the encroaching 
from encroaching on their lands in the Ohio country. Now, this is all still a continuation. The Northwest Indian Wars, this is all of this stuff that we've been talking about so far. The yeah. Beaver Wars and um, the... It never ends. Yeah, the stuff with Josiah Harmar and Lord Dunmore's War. It goes War. on and like, on and All on. of this is called the Northwest Indian Wars. So their defeat at Fallen Timbers led to leaders of many tribes negotiating and signing the Treaty of Greenville in 1795 through uh, which they relinquished much of their land to the federal government and were forced to relocate to northwestern Ohio. Now, they were already fighting this battle up there in Toledo, which is in extreme northwest Ohio. Mm -hmm. The Fallen Timbers, here's some good stuff. We may need to uh, go camping up here to see this one day. The Fallen Timbers Battlefield Memorial Park is a national historic landmark and one of the historic sites co-managed by the Ohio History Connection and local officials. It's located near the Maumee River. And see, since we're from Ohio, we can say these words. Oh, I just uh, thought it was Maumee River. The Maumee. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so it's located near the Maumee River. The park includes monuments honoring the warriors and soldiers who perished during the battle, including Major General Anthony Wayne, and there's streets here in Dayton named after... Is that who it's named after? I believe it was. Oh. Wayne Avenue. Huh. Um, His soldiers and the American Indian leaders and many warriors. The Fallen Timbers Battlefield site is located directly across the road from the Memorial Park. I think that would be a really interesting trip to go up there and spend a day or two um, walking around, learning, walking this ground, and and seeing what went on. Let's do it. Yeah. When quarantine is lifted, which I think it pretty much is now. I think you can camp. We said this... uh, Ended in, what, 1795, around that yeah. period? Uh, the Treaty of Greenville was signed in 1795. Yeah. And, and then in 1803... Didn't take long. My beloved Ohio became a state. So it didn't Yay. take long until all that. And where was our first capital? Toledo? Chillicothe. Chillicothe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's... You know, I'm, I'm proud of Ohio, but at the same time, we do have kind of a bloody history. Uh, So after the signing of the Treaty of Greenville, although Blue Jacket remained active in public relations efforts, he retired to Wapakoneta, which that sounds strange to me. He retired. Yeah. Like, I don't generally think of uh, fierce Native American warriors retiring. I mean, I guess they have every right to, but I, I don't know. I guess I just think of like... And what's and what? I don't, I don't, maybe this is my cultural bias showing, but I always thought of like Native American warriors as they got older, they didn't retire. They became like the elders. the elders and you still have to do work as an elder. Like you still have to pass on stories and training and stuff to the younger generations versus like uh, what we would consider in contemporary America retirement is you like you go to the golf course or you go like uh, lay in a... a- I wonder hey, if, he got a pen, if he got a pension or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, what else happened? Or uh, who else is from Wapakoneta, uh, Ohio? Neil or, Armstrong. Or as we say around here, Wapak. Wapak. Uh, Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. First man to set foot on the moon. Uh, unless you believe some of the conspiracy theories and they never went there. I, um, I've heard different stories about him. I heard a story that his barber tried to sell a lock of his hair and got in big trouble. Like Neil Armstrong got really upset because his barber like cut his hair 
And then instead of sweeping it into the trash like he was supposed to, he like kept some of his hair and tried to sell it on eBay. Yeah, and he got Neil, in big trouble. A- after uh, walking on the moon, Neil did his stuff, but he ended up, um, he, he wanted to leave, live yeah. a pretty quiet life, moved down to Lebanon, Ohio, yep. where he taught um, aeronautics. Probably aerospace engineering a- a- aerospace or Aerospace engineering at the University of Cincinnati. Yeah, by all, everything that I've heard is that he's a pretty good guy. So after Blue Jacket uh, returned to Wapak, he uh, supplemented his farming and hunting with trade. So he did just like our buddy did. Uh, and He didn't move to the old folks' home. He didn't move to the old folks' home. But just like John Glenn did, or not John Glenn, Neil Armstrong did. He, uh, he uh, John Glenn is another native Ohioan. Yes. Um, they both, I think, just kind of settled into a quiet life. Um, and Blue Jacket's later successor, Tecumseh, became a notable warrior during the Northwest Indian Wars. And after Blue Jacket's passing, Tecumseh grew to prominence and continued to lead the alliance during the War of 1812. Now, it's also interesting. We're going to talk about Tecumseh in a little bit at the end of this because he... Tecumseh's plays, a big deal, too. Yeah, he, he plays a big deal. But it's interesting to note that a story... In 1877, now there's a lot of controversy, and Kim kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the show. There, there was a lot of controversy, and it started in 1877 in an issue of the Ohio State Journal written by a guy named Thomas Jefferson Larsh. And so Larsh put out a story that Blue Jacket was not actually a Native American, that he was, in fact, a young Anglo-American man named Marmaduke Van Swearingen. Now, this went on for years and years and years. I think even in Ohio history, mm-hmm. this was taught that he was... Um, that he was... I, I, I think it was taught as fact that he was not a Native American, that he was a captured guy. Yeah, that's and, what I had always learned growing yeah. up. And the story was that he was captured by the Shawnee probably during the American Revolutionary War in seventeen between 1775 and 1783. That's not the time period of the war, but that's when they think that he was captured. And this kept going on. In the late six, 1960s, author Alan W. Eckert continued this theory in the novels that he wrote about Blue Jacket. Now... However, the chronological disconnects and other inconsistencies in the documented lives of both Blue Jacket and Van Swearingen, they just weren't there. And um, also what really finally put this to rest was some conclusive DNA tests proved that this theory to be false. They found um, some living relatives of both Blue Jacket and Van Swearingen, and they conducted DNA tests and... It's over. It's it's 100% positive that Blue Jacket was a Native American and not a captured white guy. Well, all that stuff I learned in fourth grade is a lie. Well, not all of it. Just the stuff about Blue Jacket. Just the stuff about Blue Jacket. That now, I know of. Now, what is even more interesting, and it goes along with this is what was taught and what was believed, mm-hmm. in Xenia, Ohio, for many, many years, uh, for 26 years, actually, there was a an outdoor drama play called Blue Jacket, and in the outdoor drama, it was portrayed. Yeah, that was that, the story. That was the story that was out there. Now, the the outdoor drama 
went bankrupt in 2007, and so it's it's not been put on. The play hasn't been put on. But a few years ago, they started to bring this back down at Caesar Creek, Ohio. They built a new amphitheater down there, and we've driven by uh, the, what they call Pioneer Village. Mm-hmm. And really so they, they built a new amphitheater down there, and the Blue Jacket drama, outdoor drama, was supposed to be reintroduced in 2017. Now, they also wanted to, not just Blue Jacket, since they were spending all this time and money and effort, the state of Ohio, to build this amphitheater. Yeah, it's a really nice yeah, amphitheater. Yeah, they, they advertised to, you know, if you were a playwright, they were looking mm-hmm. for other plays, other productions to be brought in there, not just Blue Jacket to do that. Right. Now, I looked... And I looked, I searched, and I searched. I went to the Facebook page. I went to every website I could find to see what is going on. And the best information I could get on this was from the Dayton Daily News, was that it was supposed to start in 2017. It looked like it was delayed, and they started redoing the production in 2018, if I remember right, it had something to do with um, horses. Like they couldn't find horse people that were willing to allow them to use the horses, or they had some kind of a problem with permits for the horses that are used in the in the live show. Something. I va- I have a vague recollection. Yeah, and it's it's really hard to find any information on this. And I've I've looked and looked. I went to the Dayton Daily News. I went to their Facebook page, but that hasn't been updated. They said, you know, production's closed, and it just talked about that. Yeah. Um, but it looks like they did start in 2000, the summer of 2018. A little bit of uh, trivia. You know where they got the seats for the amphitheater? Where? From Riverfront Stadium, Cincinnati Reds. Oh. So that's where they got, and they, it took them a couple years to put this amphitheater together. But then they started uh, doing the play again. Now, I did find another article from the Dayton Daily News that said all activity for the amphitheater was canceled for the 2020 season. Thank uh, you. Thank you, right. COVID. Obviously, everything's canceled for 2020. But but it, it's just there are so many interesting things about the Native American tribes in this part of the world. Um, there's a lot of rich history it's interesting, though, how effective. Well, we tried to. It was that the the colonists really drove either drove the Native Americans out, or just discouraged them from, uh, like squashed them. Basically, um, the population in Ohio last year in two thousand nineteen was eleven point six nine million. Of that. Only 25,292 were Native American. Yeah. Now, we looked and researched. We tried to find out even an estimate of how many Native Americans lived in the Ohio country. And there is just no data to support how many Native Americans lived in this part of the country. Yeah, they just didn't have censuses. Yeah, they didn't have the census every 10 years. Um, The best guess, uh, it's a pretty wide ranging number, but um, best guess in around 1800 nationwide was anywhere between 2.1 million Native Americans to 18 million Native Americans. So that's a big yeah. gap, so nobody and that's knows. the whole nation. So there's not really good records of that. We mentioned that there were good records of the events that took place, but not of populations. 
So, but even still, like, I don't, I honestly don't know that I've ever met a native Ohioan, like a native Native American Ohioan, because there just aren't that many Native Americans left in Ohio. Um, I think we have, sad. but I don't think there are no, um, there are no reservations no, there are anything aren't. like that in, in Ohio. But there are populations of Native Americans that live in communities in Ohio. Yeah, but they're I'm not sure there recognized. Are but they're not recognized as a reservation or anything. No, like no, that. no. Um, but there are a lot of if you are in Ohio or you come to visit Ohio, the um check out Ohiohistory.org. Uh the Ohio History Connection has some really good ideas for places that you can go visit. Um, if you are interested in our Native American heritage. Now, a lot of these places, um, their top 10 are, uh, it's from um, Ohio History Archaeology. And a lot of this stuff is Hopewell culture, which is ancient, ancient Indians, like 100 BC to 400 AD. So it's really old, like way before this. But it's still really interesting. There are all, a lot of earthworks. I bet they don't know how many of them there were either. I bet they don't. So um, the Hopewell were uh, mound Indians, which basically um, the way that they buried their dead was they they put them in exactly what it sounds like, in, in earth mounds. Um, and there are mounds very close to here. Mm-hmm. Up, near, up near Cedarville, there are mounds up through, up through there, so, which uh, is only 15 minutes from here. Yeah. Um, so the Fort Ancient Earthworks in Lebanon, Ohio, it's the largest hilltop enclosure in North America. Uh, it's actually being considered for a listing as a World Heritage Site as part of the Hopewell Ceremonial Earthworks nomination. Um, the Serpent Mound, which is not too far from here, it's the largest effigy mound in the world. Uh, the best evidence suggests it was built around AD 1000 by the Fort Ancient culture. Um, Newark Earthworks. And Fort Ancient is a pretty cool place to go look around, mm-hmm. too. The Newark Earthworks, uh, the Great Circle Earthworks, and Octagon Earthworks uh, in Newark, Ohio. Sunwatch Village here in Dayton. Um, it's a Fort Ancient culture village, partially excavated. Isn't that where they, your grandma and grandpa, they moved them to? Sunwatch? Yeah. No. Where, what what are you talking about? Your grandma and grandpa, where, where'd they live? Like where in their in their in the, in the, in, yeah the what was that called friendship village friendship village okay not Sunwatch village that's okay. something totally different friendship Sunwatch it all sound the same to not me not even close okay Sunwatch village is a Fort Ancient culture village it's been partially excavated with several of the houses restored on their original foundations and the name comes from a gigantic cedar pole at the heart of the village that turned the entire site into a gigantic sundial. It's really cool. I remember going there when I was a kid, and it was really, really neat. Um, the Hopewell Culture National Historic Park in Chillicothe. Uh, it's Mound City is what they call it. It's the largest collection of Hopewell Culture burial mounds in eastern North America. Fort Hill Earthworks in Hillsboro. The Miamisburg Mound in Miamisburg. It's the largest Adena Culture burial mound in Ohio. Flint Ridge in Glenford. Uh, it preserves hundreds of flint quarry pits used by all of Ohio's ancient American Indian cultures, but most especially by the Hopewell. Marietta Earthworks in Marietta. Uh, and then, um, of course, the Ohio History Center in Columbus. It has 
the biggest display of artifacts from all of Ohio's ancient American history cultures, as well as a mounted mastodon. And we went there last year, I think. Uh, and it was actually really interesting. Um, and if you go to ohiohistory.org, you can also get um, check out the website for the Ancient Ohio Trail. So you can kind of learn, um, kind of travel where Native Americans traveled and see what they saw, sort of. And, and I, I and think we should mention... Do some learning. We're talking about burial grounds. Uh, Blue Jacket, they don't know where Blue Jacket is buried. His body was either lost or destroyed, but they believe he is somewhere in the uh, Detroit River region. Hmm. So up in northwest. North, yeah. Yeah, northwest. North Ohio, southern um, southern Michigan, someplace up through there. Well, there you go. Very yeah. interesting. So uh, there is just a lot of history and I'm sure here you know, in in Ohio. Yeah, and you know what? Wherever you're listening, if you dig into it, I'm sure there, it's sure there is a lot of interesting history where you live. The, our nation has a lot of really interesting history, and if you're one of our overseas listeners, I bet your nation has even more interesting history because we're the baby land in, in the world. Yeah, you so a, your you history is a lot longer than ours. Trust me, we, we were in Germany. I was stationed in the Army, and we went over there, and we were uh, eating at a guest house, and the cornerstone of the guest house said, like, 1640 something or like something that. like that. Yeah. And it just kind of hit Kim was like, this building <laughs> is older than our nation. Than our nation. So we're, we're just a little baby nation. Uh, so send us some ideas that we can research and make an episode out of. We obviously love the history stuff. If there is a really interesting historical uh, landmark near you or, or something that you think that you would like to, uh, maybe you don't have time to research it, but we do. Uh, send us some ideas and we'll, we'll let you know. We'll do our research and educate you. We would love to have you as a guest on the show too. Absolutely. It's been a minute since we've had an interview. So. Yeah. And it might be a while because we're going to start a series here on... I'm so excited for our new series. On the, the American Revolution. We're still kind of planning this out, but we're looking at uh, like pre, pre-revolution, what led up to it, the revolution... Immediately prior to the revolution, you know, when we get into like the Boston Tea Party and stuff like that, then yeah. the actual revolution itself and post-revolution. So tune in uh, for the month of June, probably the entire month. We're going to be covering um, the Revolutionary War and that kind of time period. And then it's going to culminate, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's going to culminate with my very favorite Revolutionary War era founding father, uh, and I'm super excited. Yeah. So, this is the kind of stuff that we love doing. Yeah, send us feedback, please. Um, if you if you are a loyal listener and you're like, man, I'm really getting tired of the history stuff, cover something else. Or if you love the history stuff and you want to keep it, like, listen, you want us to go on a history streak for a while. If you want to hear more interviews, tell us what you. We're not doing this. Just, just to listen to ourselves talk, although that's part of the reason we do it. But we want to entertain you. We want to keep you coming back and listening and, and, uh, and you know, give you what you're looking for. But we don't know unless you give us some feedback. And it doesn't have to be anybody super famous like Paul Bunyan. Yeah. It could be someone local legend famous like Pappy Spears. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 
Uh, I should probably let them know where they can send that information to us, shouldn't I? Um, probably. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at An Hour of Your Life, or you can find us on the Twitter at A Lost Hour, and you can find us on Gmail at A Lost Hour at gmail.com. That's how you get hold of us. That's it. Yeah. So, how do we supposed to end this, Kim? You always have to remind me. Um, you're supposed to say from our beautiful studios. From our beautiful studios in Sugar Creek, Ohio. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Sources for this episode include Ohio History Central, Dayton Daily News, and Steve's mom. Thanks.